0: Representing NTCGS is Dr. Bethel. He's with us today as our speaker. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Bethel. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much, Pastor. It's great to be here, and I'm thankful that I I was here a few years ago and you actually invited me back. Well, that's good. (laughs) So my wife Lola's here and uh, her sister Iris are here with me today, and I'm glad they could come along as well. Uh, and uh, I look forward to the opportunity to be here. I do have a table back there. If you want to stop by and pick up some material, that's uh, great. I do represent NTCGS as I teach for them as well. I'm on the board as well, and uh, I can't say much more than what that video, I think, uh, says, what our goal is and what we're trying to accomplish. And we appreciate the opportunity to just give you more information about it so you can know about it as you think about missions. You know, I love your uh, theme, uh, give and go. Uh, now, I, I think it's significant that it's not give or go, okay, it's give and go, and it makes me think of this phrase called, do you have any skin in the game? You ever heard that phrase? You know, it's kind of a popular, it was really really renowned by investor Warren Buffett, who referred to a situation in which high-ranking insiders use their own money to buy stocks in the company they're running. Of course, it's now in many other fields as well, uh, business, finance, gambling, okay, <laughs> Uh, Now it's in politics as well, isn't it? Okay, well, a lot of people like the phrase give or go because that lets them off the hook, so to speak. They don't have to put any skin in the game sometimes if they can just give but not go. And I don't think that was not what Jesus had in mind. Jesus didn't say give or go. He only said go, which I believe implies give, amen? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, what's he say? And to give his life a ransom. And I think that's what he's talking about in Matthew chapter 20. I want to share this morning what I hope will be a a challenging biblical message, okay? The question is, when God calls, what will be your answer? That's my question this morning. I want you to open to Jeremiah chapter 1. That'll be our text today. Whether God calls you to give and go individually or corporately, here's a body of Christ right here, the, the church, Faith Baptist Church. Whatever God calls, what's going to be your answer? Now my mom, when I was growing up, had three kinds of calls to me. I don't know about you all, but when my mom would call, sometimes I knew it was a happy. I could tell by the way she called me. It was good news, all right? It's going to be great. Then there were times I could tell by when mom called my name there was something she wanted me to know, some kind of information that was going to be important. Then there was one when I was in trouble. Amen? Okay, you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, one thing was for sure: I was not to hesitate when my mom called me, OK, especially if it was that third kind of call. And I want to ask you, when God calls, what will be your answer? I read this quote the other day. It said, Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. Isn't that true? Jesus commands us to go. He doesn't ever say maybe go. If you think about going, would you like to go? He commands us to go. The exception is if we stay. I believe that this applies to the individual And as I said, I believe this also applies to the church. Here's another quote I really like from Oswald Smith. Any church not involved in the Great Commission has forfeited its right to exist. Do you hear that? Isn't that true? What's the church about? It's about the Great Commission, as we've already learned today, and as Pastor mentioned earlier, and as the songs we've sung have pointed us in that direction. So this morning, let's look at this biblical charge to answer God's call to give and go through the lens of, I think, one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived, Jeremiah. You talk about a guy who had some skin in the game, we're talking about Jeremiah. And that's what I want to look at in Jeremiah chapter 1. When Jeremiah was maybe only 20 years old, God called him. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, it records this call that God gave to him. And, And like you and me, sometimes, I want you to know, Jeremiah hesitated. To answer God's call. So let's read Jeremiah chapter 1, verses. I'm just going to read the first six verses to get it started here. I know you're familiar with this passage. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So these are the last kings of the southern kingdom. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, here it is, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. All right, so there we go. He hesitated, okay? He blinked. So let me suggest four reasons from this chapter why Jeremiah hesitated and and why sometimes I think you and I individually and even corporately as a church, how sometimes we might hesitate to answer God's call. Here's the first one. The task was very demanding. This This was a difficult job that Jeremiah was called to. You know, his father, Hilkiah, was a priest. And, uh, and, uh, and probably his father, grandfather before him, they were all priests. And I imagine Jeremiah thought as he grew up, I'll be a priest. That's what I'll do when I grow up. And that was probably what he was thinking. He may have even been at the age right now where he was ready to step into the priesthood. But God instead called him to be a prophet. Now, I want to just say it's important to know that he was young. But the point here I want to make is that it doesn't matter whether you're, you're old or young. I have an image here of a man named Moses. You saw a picture of him earlier. Uh, Moses was a man I met in Uganda when I was teaching there one time. And Moses, when he was 60 years old, living in the northwest corner of Uganda, near the, the Congo, felt God call him into ministry at 60. At age 70, I was teaching him in a class, a, a class on how to write English papers, okay, <laughs> believe it or not, okay, in Uganda. And, uh, and every day, Moses would lead us in singing, and, oh, you talk about a man who had a heart for God. When he would sing, the tears would come out of his eyes like, like a garden hose as he had such passion and love for the Lord. And every day he would say to me when I'd meet him, he'd always come up to me and say, pray that it doesn't rain on Sunday. And I thought, okay, that's good. I will. I'll pray. Okay, I didn't know why, why he would say that, you know. But after three or four days, I finally said, Moses, why do you want me to pray that it won't rain on Sunday? And he said, well, because my congregation of 400 meets under a tree. It's really nice when it doesn't rain. (laughs) Well, I appreciated that for Moses. And here he was. He was uh, earning a BA in Bible from NTCGS because he felt God had called him to the ministry. So it doesn't matter, Jeremiah, whether you're young or whether you're old congregation, it doesn't matter. If God calls, we're supposed to go, aren't we? And Moses is a good example. But Jeremiah was young. Uh, You know, serving as a prophet was a lot more demanding than serving as a priest. (laughs) It's no wonder Jeremiah didn't want to go. Maybe we can understand why he hesitated. You see, a priest's duties were very predictable. You know, a priest got up every day, and what a priest had to do was offer sacrifices. He had to declare lepers to be unclean or, or maybe they were clean. He had to cleanse people. He had to reinstate people. He had official ceremonies to perform. He had a sanctuary to take care of. It was, he had a regular routine. But being a prophet, by the way, a prophet is a missionary. It's the same word. You understand that, okay? Being a prophet, a missionary is quite another matter because you never know from one day to the next what the Lord's going to have you say or do. The priest worked primarily to protect the past, right? To maintain the sanctuary. But the prophet ministered, he labored to change the present so the nation would have a future. Isn't that what missionaries are doing? Changing lives of people's lives so they have a future. When the prophet saw the people going in the wrong direction, he sought to call them back to the right path. Well, Jeremiah would have had a much easier task to serve as a priest. And you and I might believe it's much easier to do anything rather than answer God's call because the task is simply just too demanding. Therefore, it's no wonder his first response was to question God's call. That's what he said in verse 6. I I, I can't speak. I'm a youth. Same thing Moses said, right, many years earlier. Offering sacrifices was was one thing, but preaching the word to hard-hearted people was quite another thing. So Jeremiah hesitated because he thought the task was too demanding. Number two, we're going to see, Jeremiah hesitated because the times were difficult. You know, we we read verses two and three all about these different kings, Josiah, Jehoiakim, Zedekiah, all these kings, you know. It was a very difficult time. I'm sure that there never has been a time in history that people wouldn't say it's a difficult time, all right? (laughs) Uh, Jeremiah lived in that era, didn't he? And I doubt there's anyone hearing my voice today that doesn't believe. We're living in a similar difficult situation today. Isn't that true? I mean, let's, let's briefly consider this history that Judah was involved with here and in Jeremiah's lifetime. Uh, you know, uh, we see here in verse 2 that uh, the word came of the Lord came to him in the days of Josiah. We all remember King Josiah, the son of Ammon, and then we see Jehoiakim and we see Zedekiah mentioned here. So the first point here is rebellion instead of obedience. This is what I see here, Okay. When I think about these difficult times that Jeremiah lived in, it was a time of rebellion, not obedience. I mean, to begin with, Jeremiah was born, by the way, during the reign of King Manasseh. You've probably heard that name before, okay? Probably one of the most evil kings there ever were, was and also who was constantly mentioned as the example of a bad king. 2 Kings 21.9 says, Manasseh seduced them, that's the people of Judah, to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Wow, that, how about that on your tombstone? <laughs> huh? When Manasseh died, his evil son Ammon continued his father's evil practices. And so Jeremiah, who grew up in the city of Anathoth, not too far from Jerusalem, it was a time of idolatry, a time of, of great idolatry that flourished even in the nation of Judah. Children were even offered in sacrifice to idols. That's how bad it got. The law of Moses was disregarded and disobeyed. And in fact, it was lost. It was during the time when Josiah became king that, if you may remember, when Hilkiah the priest found the Bible in the temple when they were cleaning it up. What a mess. Well, I'll tell you, I don't know that I can say it's much different today in my own country of America. I have a feeling there's a lot of places in America where the Bible isn't even found, let alone referred to or let alone believed in. Amen? Amen. So it was a time of rebellion instead of obedience. And then secondly, it was a time of reformation instead of repentance. Now, Josiah did a lot. He was a great king. He was a very young king, just a boy. But he had godly leaders, and he really began to bring the people back to the word of God. And uh, until uh, until he became king in 639 B.C., and uh, until 609 when he was was killed in a battle against Egypt, uh, he really sought to bring the people back. And many reformations were made. Uh, uh, He he repaired the temple. He cleaned it up. He restored the worship of God. And uh, he called the nation to repentance. He made a covenant with the Lord, led the people to renounce idolatry and return to the law of the Lord. Unfortunately, just like what happened in our country in 9-11, it was a reformation, not a repentance. It was an outward change. It looked good sounded great, but it wasn't really a change in their hearts. It was just a surface thing. And, and unlike the king, they, they displayed no true repentance. Jeremiah knew this. He, he understood this. In fact, if you look at chapter 3, verse 10, uh, Jeremiah says, And yet for all th- this, her treacherous sister, Judah, has not turned to me with her whole heart. But, listen to this, in pretense, says the Lord. There's a lot of pretense of following God in our world today, isn't there? Especially in America. Re- Reformation, you see, instead of real, genuine repentance, and that leads to this third one: politics instead of politics instead of principle. Okay, I mean, no sooner did Josiah die on the battlefield and his son became king, his name was Jehoahaz, and he quickly removed the pause, Let's say, in idolatry worship, he put it back in place. And then when his brother Eliakim was placed on the throne, uh, they called him Jehoiakim. He's only there for three years, and that was from political infighting. His own son killed him. Then Jehoiakim reigns for about three months. Then, then his uncle Madaniah, who was a, Josiah's third son, renamed Zedekiah, becomes the king. Politics, you see, shamefully on display right here in the nation of Judah. Now, Zedekiah was the last king of Judah. He was a weak Vacillating man who feared his officials, he feared his handlers, those who were around him, more than he feared God. He did whatever they told him to do, he would say whatever they said. Sometimes, secretly, if you as you study through Second Kings and Chronicles, you see he wanted to do the right thing sometimes, but as soon as somebody, you know, stood up to him, he backed off. He was very weak, he was a very weak political leader. Second Chronicles thirty six twelve says, He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. It's easy, you know. Really, it's easy for political leaders to invite a religious leader to come in and consult them, you know, and, and pray, say, pray for me, you know. Uh, but then they go do exactly what they were going to do to start with, okay. But it looks good, doesn't it, on the outside. And that's what was happening here in the land of judah sometimes today it's still considered good public relations to give people the impression that religion is important but just talking to some popular preacher doesn't make a politician reform does it okay and that's what's happening there let me let me share another story here with you here just real quick this young man here this is a young man who's from syria and he, lived, he grew up in Damascus. Now, he became a believer, very unusual in the Middle East, but this man, young man became a believer because his family were Christians, and his name is Agoop. That's, uh, that's uh, the word Jacob. We'd say Jacob. His is Agup. I met Agoop in, in uh, Lebanon as I was teaching a class for NTCGS, and he shared his, uh, his testimony in chapel one day. Well, Agoop grew up in this church in Damascus, and it was during the war, uh, it was the war, Syrian war that was going on. But on Saturdays, a lot of times the war paused, I, you know, but I guess because it was the, uh, just after the, you know, for the Muslim, the Friday is the holy day, and so they would pause, and so they would go out Saturday mornings. As a young man, you learned how to do sign language, and so there were a lot of deaf people in Damascus, and they would go out, and they would witness the deaf people on the streets. There was about four or five of them out one day when they were captured by ISIS soldiers, and these soldiers were, were, were hassling them and saying, we're going to kill you, and, you know, you shouldn't be out here doing this. Well, a goop, if you knew, if you ever met a goop, and I wish you could, and that didn't bother him a bit. He said, look, you can do whatever you want to me. I'm going to heaven. You're going to hell. I don't really care what you do, you know. That's just the way he was, okay? So he's, uh, this is happening, and, uh, and they're threatening, and all of a sudden, a local businessman who kind of saw what was going on, and he knew these people, came by in his car, and he got out and said, hey, guys, you don't want to do this. Well, here's a part of the story. Two of these ISIS soldiers went to high school with a goop. They knew each other. Uh, but and this businessman knew them all and said you don't want to kill these guys they didn't do anything to you they said well we have to kill somebody or we can't go back here i can't and so the businessman said well listen i'll tell you what i'll do i'll give you my car if you won't kill anybody and they said okay but we got to shoot somebody and a group raised his hand and said shoot me and they shot him right in the upper thigh and when i was uh, teaching him in class he had a cane because he was still limping from that shot that he had could you do that shoot me That's the kind of incredible period of history that Jeremiah was living in. It's the kind of history that the people who are believers in Syria are living through right now and in almost all of the Middle East, okay? What an incredible period of history Jeremiah lived in. Who, you know, we can't, who could blame him for hesitating? (laughs) Just shoot me. I think I'd have been stepping back, right? But here he is, okay, and that's the way Jeremiah was. Who could blame him for hesitating to answer God's call to serve as a prophet to this rebellious nation? Would you? So Jeremiah hesitated because he thought the task was too demanding. Secondly, the times were difficult. Here's the third one. Okay, the tested was doubtful. Now the tested I'm talking about is Jeremiah. Okay, he was doubtful. You know, we already read verses four through six. You know, when God called him in verse six, he says, "Oh, I, I cannot speak. I'm a youth." Okay, he he was doubting his ability. Jeremiah hesitated as he looked at the work before him, the wickedness around him, and when he looked at the weakness within himself. Jeremiah was certain he wasn't the man for the job. Boy, isn't that easy to do? Huh? Anybody ever say that? Okay. When it comes to serving the Lord, there is a sense in which nobody is adequate. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.16, and who is sufficient for these things? Well, it's a rhetorical question, isn't it? Nobody. He pondered the responsibility of ministry. He answered his own question, I think, in verse 5 when he said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency, what's it say, is of God. Amen. What we have to understand is that when God calls us, he isn't making a mistake. And for us to hesitate or refuse to obey is to act on the basis of unbelief and not faith. Now, we try to spiritualize that unbelief by saying, well, I don't think I'm adequate for this job. But I'm sorry, it's just a lack of faith, isn't it, okay? It's one thing for us to know our own weaknesses, but it's quite something else for us to say that our weaknesses prevent God from getting anything done. Isn't that true? Instead of being an evidence of humility, I think it's actually an attitude of pride. So, so God gives Jeremiah, this young man, three wonderful assurances to help him. The first is God's assurance of grace. And that's, we already read that in verse four and five. The word of the Lord came saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God doesn't save us, call us, or use us in his service because we're deserving, but because of his wisdom and grace. He chooses to do so. It's grace from start to finish, amen? But by the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul wrote, didn't he? And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was within me. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Each of these phrases is very important here, okay, in verse 5. To begin with, God knew Jeremiah, which refers to his sovereign election of his servant. God chose Jeremiah even before he was conceived or formed in the mother's womb. Amen? I mean, talk about a a verse that says abortion is wrong. We got it right here, don't we? Amen? It absolutely is wrong. God knew Jeremiah, and and then he formed Jeremiah, gave him the genetic structure he wanted him to possess. Do you you realize that God gave us exactly the kind of genetic structure that he wants each one of us to have in order to serve him? Jeremiah wasn't too happy about what his birth gave him, (laughs) you see, like we are sometimes, but the Lord knew what was best. What we are, somebody said, is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to him. Amen? What we are is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to him. And then third, God sanctified Jeremiah even before he was born. means Jeremiah was set apart by the Lord and for the Lord, even before he knew the Lord in a personal way. How about that? That, that's the way God works, okay? And then God ordained Jeremiah, ordained him to be a prophet to the nations. Talk about a call to missions. Here it is right here, okay? God's concern from the beginning is that all nations of the earth know his salvation. That's why he called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he set apart the nation of Israel, why? To be his special channel to bring his word to the world. To bring his word, and by word I mean his written word, but also his physical word, Jesus the son of God, a prophet was chosen and authorized spokesman for God who declared God's word to the people. So as God's children, we are chosen and set apart by him and for him. Romans eight twenty eight through 30. This truth ought to give us great courage as we confront an evil world and seek to serve the Lord. And by the way, he says also at the end of that passage in Romans eight thirty one, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Not only does God give Jeremiah his assurance of grace, but secondly, He gives him His protecting presence. That's in verses six to eight. Let's go. Let's read uh, verse six through eight again. Here, that's Jeremiah's excuse here. Oh Lord, I, I cannot speak for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, "Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak." Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Doesn't that remind you of the, uh, God, when God called uh, Joshua? That doesn't it remind you of God calling Joshua? him the same thing. Joshua was afraid, right? Scared to death. But God said, hey, I'm going to be with you. And he gives him these three instructions right here. You see them on the screen. Go where I send you. Speak what I command you. And don't be afraid of the people. Don't you think Jeremiah needed that? And don't you think we need that when God calls us? And then he added this great promise, okay, for I am with you to deliver you, verse 8. He repeated this promise again. If you, go, if you look down at verse 19 of this very first chapter, he says, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you. Boy, don't we need to hear that phrase, I am with you? Didn't Jesus say, behold, I promise to be with you until the end of the earth, until the end of the world? He's not going to go anywhere. But boy, isn't it easy to forget that? And Jeremiah needed to be reminded of that. Uh, you know, uh, now note that there was a condition attached to this encouraging promise. Jeremiah had to go where God sent him and speak what God told him, okay? There was a condition. God was going to be with him as he went and as he spoke. And that's very important for us to keep in mind. Here, I want to uh, tell you one final story about a, young, about a young man named Malki. Malki was also from Syria, and he was from a place called Aleppo. It's in the upper part of Damascus. I met him at school there in Lebanon. And Malki was serving as a missionary in southern Syria, way down on the southern border of Syria. And he had gone there nearly 10 years earlier because he felt God calling him. He went down, there There was nobody, there were no churches, there was not even any nominal believers, but he felt God wanted him to be there. And for 10 years, he worked at witnessing for the Lord. He got not one convert, got nothing positive, and finally at the end of that 10 years, he's like, God, I guess I made a mistake. I'm just going to quit and go home, and that was his next move, and soon he got a knock on the door. It was a young girl come and said, I hear you're a man of God. My grandmother's very ill. We can't figure out what's the matter with her. Will you come and pray for her? Malchi thought, well, I might as well, so he went. He prayed for the, his, this grandmother. By God's grace, grandmother got better, and the people in that house couldn't believe it, They considered it a miracle. They turned to Malachi. He preached the word of God. They got saved. Their relatives got saved. And now there's two churches in that region because Malachi stuck it out and stayed with it. And then he was coming back to school so he can learn more to be better prepared to teach in in this area. Isn't that incredible? You know, uh, could you do that? Like Joshua was promised, Jeremiah knew that the Lord was with him just as we know that the Lord is with us. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, right? I will not fear. What can man do to me? And now I love this, this other verse. In, I think it's in Psalm. It says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. And then that, that brings the third uh, reason why how God helped him, when, why he was doubtful, and that's he promises his effective word. That's verses 9 and 10. Look at verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. I'm sure you remember when the coal from the heavenly altar was placed on Isaiah's lips. It was a similar thing. It was God touching his lips, Jeremiah's mouth, to give him power and authority. God puts his word into prophets' mouths, into missionaries' mouths, into our mouths, that these words may be effective to accomplish his will. It's not my words. It's not Jeremiah's words. It's God's word. Amen? That's the difference. God puts his word into prophets' mouths, and those words were effective to accomplish his will. God not only gave Jeremiah his words, but he also promised to watch over those words, until they were fulfilled. In verse 12, uh, I have the New King James that says, Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Other translations, and a better translation is watch over. That's really what he's talking about there. See, when we speak God's word, when we share God's word, we don't have to worry about it. It's God's word. He's going to take care of it, isn't he? He's going to watch over it. He's going to accomplish what he accomplishes. It's not us. it's, It's him. Jeremiah didn't accomplish God's will on earth by means of clever speeches or cunning diplomacy or skillful psychology. He heard God's word. He took it to heart. He proclaimed it fearlessly to the people. God did the rest. Amen? God did the rest. Any servant of God who feels himself or herself too weak to serve needs to consider these three encouragements right here. God's assuring grace, his protecting presence, and his effective word. Has God called you? Well, he's going to equip you. Are you obeying his commands by faith? Then he is with you to protect you. Are you sharing the word? Then he will accomplish his purpose no matter how the people respond. And by the way, Jeremiah didn't exactly have a willing audience, okay? (laughs) Uh, We understand if you study much of Jeremiah, they were totally opposed to him. I love what Isaiah 55:11 says: "So shall my words be that goeth forth out of my mouth; it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it." Second Thessalonians 3:3. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and keep our guard or watch over you and the word. So, apart from the Bible, we have no gospel to take to the nations. Apart from the Bible, we have no command. To take the gospel anywhere, apart from the Bible, we have no idea what to do with the gospel. And apart from the Bible, we have no hope of success in proclaiming it. So we need God's word. And that brings us to the last point here. The truth was dangerous. The truth was dangerous. Times were demanding, right? One. Two, times were difficult. Three, the tested was doubtful. Number four, the truth was dangerous. Oh, my goodness. The truth was dangerous in the case of Jeremiah. Sharing the word. The Lord didn't give Jeremiah a joyful message of deliverance, you see, to announce and say, everybody, let's all praise the Lord and be happy together. It didn't happen. It was a tragic message of judgment. So dangerous was this message that the people hearing it called Jeremiah a traitor. He would be misunderstood, persecuted, arrested, imprisoned. More than once, his life was in danger. And the nation didn't want to hear the truth. And I could say the world doesn't want to hear the truth. But Jeremiah told them plainly that they were defying the Lord, disobeying the law. They were destined for judgment. And as, as a result, God gave Jeremiah three promises. I'm just going to show them to you here just so you see them, okay? I just want to point them out to you. The first one, he gives him a couple of visions here. He talks about the almond tree in verses 11 and 12. And, uh, and uh, just to understand, the almond tree of course was a very important tree in the nation of Israel it would bloom in January and give the first indication that spring was coming and it's interesting I think that God uses a kind of a play on words here because the word uh the Hebrew word for almond is is, is a s-a-q-e-d, while the word for watch or be awake is sohead so I think God was kind of using a play on words to impress Jeremiah with the fact that he's ever awake to watch over his word and fulfill it amen He's going to take care of it. The second one here is the boiling point. There's, a, there's a, pro, a prophecy or a vision in here in verses 13 and 16. Again, I won't take the time to really develop it here, but you, you understand the nations in the east were often in conflict, each trying to gain supremacy. You know, first the Jewish rulers would return to Egypt. They'd go to Egypt for help. Then they'd go to Assyria. You know, they're always trying to get somebody to help them. But this vision reveals that God is in control of the nations of the world. Amen? Do you hear that? God's in control Of the nations of the world, and he can use them to accomplish his purpose, and that's what he did here. And he was reminding Jeremiah of that. And the third promise here is that he was going to make Jeremiah a city, a pillar, and a wall. That's verses seventeen to nineteen. Verse seventeen: Therefore, prepare yourself and arise. If you have a king, James, it says, gird your loins. That's what that word means. You know, the men in the Middle East when they need to go somewhere fast because they have these long flowing robes, they they grab that robe up, they stick it inside their their girdle, their belt so they could move. That's what he's saying to Jeremiah here. Prepare yourself. Gird up your loins and arise. And he was going to make him a a city, a a pillar, and a wall. And that's what he was going to do for Jeremiah. So he would be as strong as an iron pillar. Attacks on all sides by kings, priests, people. He would be as unyielding as a bronze wall. I am with you to deliver you. That's what he says again in verse 19. They shall fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. So I think we've seen here this morning, Jeremiah faced a pretty difficult task, didn't he? It was demanding. The times were very difficult. The tested was doubtful, and the truth was dangerous. Is it any different today? I think the Jeremiah chapter 1 is exactly fitting for us today and in our world today. I, I love this quote by Hudson Taylor. God isn't looking for people of great faith but for individuals ready to follow him. Maybe I could say ready to go, amen? Ready to follow him. But in the end, Jeremiah does accept God's call in his life. He does go and give everything. So here's three questions for you real quick, okay? The first question here is, will you accept God's call despite the difficulties and demands? Will Faith Baptist accept God's call despite the difficulties and demands? Will you say, shoot me? Secondly, will you, like Jeremiah, saddle up and not measure success by human standards? You know you know the great theologian John Wayne said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. So will you saddle up like Jeremiah did? Not measure success by human standards, but by the will of God? Measured by human standards, his ministry was a failure. <laughs> but measured by the will of God, he was a great success. It isn't easy to stand alone to resist the crowd, to be out of step with the philosophies and values of the times. But Jeremiah did, and he's called us to do the same thing. And the third question, the final question is, will you conform to the crowd or carry the cross? If anyone desires to come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Is that a a message to go and give like any other message you've ever heard? So in light of this sobering question, what decision will you make? Will you conform to the crowd or carry the cross? Did you hear God calling you? Do you hear God calling you? Will you answer that call? Are you willing to put some skin in the game today to answer God's call? Lord, thank you for the example of Jeremiah. What a man of God who stood up against Incredible odds to go, to give his life, to serve you. May we be that willing today, in Jesus' name, amen.